For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FM Montreal's Josh Miller, as usual, on a Monday night. Hello, Josh. Hello, Dan. And this evening, we're going to talk about the car business, always one of my favorite businesses to talk about on the show. And Gad Biton will be here of Holland Automotive Group, and they have all the cars. <laughs> they do. And, you know, often, you know, guests, Dan, they bring us little samples of what they have. I don't think you brought in a car for us today. That's too bad. Uh, they have all the nice cars, too. We're going to talk about uh, the, the luxury automotive business as well on the program. And later on, uh, Nick Moretis joins us for some tax talk uh, coming up later in the hour. And uh, what will well, Nick's uh, tax Nick, talk be well, about? I, Nick, I think we're going to focus on groups of companies. You know, There's a lot of entrepreneurs that have their one company, but there are a few that have created over time a group of companies. Hmm. So what are the challenges, uh, at least from a tax aspect, of dealing with a group of companies uh, and certain things that you kind of have to navigate through? All right, so that's on the way later in the show, and of course, our one piece of advice from Gad Bitton on the way as well. Uh, but first, news and notes, as we usually do here, uh, to get the show going on a Monday evening. This uh, column from Bill Brownstein, I, I, I noticed as well a few days ago, is quite good. Uh, looking to hire, but few are biting about the job shortages uh, hitting Montreal. Uh, in this case, uh, Bill was looking at uh, businesses along the main, and wow, is it really tough to find employees. Uh, I mean, one guy... I think is that the sausage shop is pulling 70 hour weeks because just, there's just no one to take those jobs. And it's, it's prevalent, I think, throughout. I know we've talked about it's tough to find talent in the city. Uh, how do you, how do you create your, your differences? But there's no question there's the, there is a shortage of people or there is low unemployment. So you're going to have this issue. You know, he, he thinks this guy that, that's running the sausage shop, uh, he believes that people don't really want to do as much manual work. Uh, as maybe they used to. Or if we look at it this way, and we keep talking about Montreal artificial intelligence and a tech hub, there's just a lot more, call it sexiness, to go to those jobs than to go to maybe a sausage retail store. I think there's also retail does have an aspect of social abilities, you know, communication and social abilities. And maybe not everybody's up for that either. They prefer the kind of behind the scenes or, or quiet environment or, or computer environment. So this, this is something I, I think that is prevalent. I think there's not all retail stores uh, can, can readily find all the great people the next day, which means it all points to the same thing, Dan. We've said it over and over again. You got to find a way to attract people. You got to show them your culture. You got to do be a little bit different than the store next door. And you got to show people that that's who you are. Uh, just hearing about it might not be it. Show it online, uh, display it. Of course, then it's who you know. So if you can find people in your own network, network, not just for sales, but network for your people too. Mm. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, these cafe chains all have different concepts, you know, pay a few dollars an hour or whatever. So this one offers free coffee and cheap food, but you do have to give up your personal data in exchange. Now, this is not here. This is in the United States, and it's attached this particular article uh, that's from the, that I read through in the Financial Post. They're attached to Yale. But this, to me, Dan, is something that is that has been happening for a little while and will just sprout up and continue to happen that much more. This coffee shop, and there's only a few of them uh, in that Connecticut area, this coffee shop gives away free coffee. They essentially sell their cafe food at pretty much close to cost. But in exchange, 
they want their customers' data. They want, in this case, Yale University students' data. Not just, you know, your name and where you're from, but, you know, it's your gender, it's your kind of interests, it's likes, it's, it's, there's an app that they go through it and you have to register, be on the app, you have to register a bunch of information. They're collecting data. As we all know, Internet of Things, big data, data is what people pay for. And if they can collect data on Yale students, and it's a pretty big population, Yale University, and they're affluent or they're going to have affluent careers, that's something that's going to be worth. So I wouldn't be surprised if a bunch of other businesses came up and said, you know what, I'm going to give it away, but I want your information and I have the right to sell your data to somebody else. That's that's going to be something. Now you have to have the right amount of investment money money to to be able to pay for that until the goods until the advertising or the the dollars come in for the data. But it's something that is going to happen more and more. Interesting business because at this point, you know, we're giving away our data for free. If not, pay, if not, we're paying people to take our data sometimes when we're buying premium apps. So here you have someone breaking the model a little bit and recognizing that your data does have value. It's amazing. Just look at the cars that people drive. The amount of data that's collected in every car is unbelievable. Uh, you know, where you go, what your patterns are, uh, type of car, what music you might listen to. There's so much data that is captured in a car. And who does it even belong to? I, I mean, we haven't even scratched the surface on who's who the data belongs to. Uh, trade wars now, uh, particularly between the U.S. and China, and we've gotten some blowback because of this as well, and now we're kind of wrapped up in a bit of a, a trade dispute with China as well. Uh, how could this have an effect, uh, according to Forbes, on big American businesses in, uh, in the coming months, like Apple, Tesla, and Boeing? You know, I, I read this article from Forbes, and there's no way to predict the ultimate future. That being said... China has a lot of ability. If China is going to be on the other side of a trade war between the U.S. and China, and we certainly might get affected as a result, China has the ability to make certain major changes in their economic structure, philosophy, and create a shall I say a pretty big turmoil in the world. I mean, if they really wanted to, I mean, they 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 found a lot of rare earths. In, uh, in China. So if they wanted to stop exporting rare earths, if they wanted to, you know, retaliate and take their U.S. executives like, you know, like the U.S. looked at the Huawei executive and make life difficult or quote unquote impossible for them to come into the country, if they wanted to devalue the currency in any way, shape or form, I mean, they're sitting on on. I don't know how many U.S. Treasury securities, maybe trillions of dollars of U.S. Treasury securities, if they wanted to flood the market, you know, they could devalue the dollar. I'm not saying that it's good for them in the long run, but in the short run, if they really weren't really happy and they wanted to do something, there's there's a lot of things they can do. I mean, they're such a big energy user, too. There's, there's so many things that one and a half billion people, a country with one and a half billion people can affect the worldwide economy. From Inc.com, your employees want more financial transparency. Now what? So founders talking about um, opening up their books to employees and how uh, there's more and more demand from employees to, I guess for some reason, be for the owners and managers to be more upfront about the inner workings. Well, I think this is uh, this is probably triggered by the generations, the newer generations, the millennials, the Gen Zs, where they want to feel involved. They want to have their input. They want to know where, where the company is going. The, the the short reality is it kind of depends on the context. You know, this article from Inc.com, you know, gave a few different perspectives from a few different CEOs. But the one I think that really 
clicks or, or, or stood out with me is one of them that said, if you're going to share, do it in context, because do people care more about bottom line or top line? What are they, what are they motivated by? Do they want to know if the company's in good financial shape so they have job security? Or do they just want to know if there's excess funds so they can get new offices and a great new foosball table? So I think the, the reasoning why your employees or your team want to know financial data or want, want the more transparency kind of comes back to what's driving them and where they kind of see themselves. Uh, and it's, and it's generations. We, you know, at FL, we have four generations under one roof and they don't all want the same thing. So it's, so that's why I say, you know, it's great to share information. I think it's important to share, uh, that you want people to all feel like they're going in the, the same direction. That being said, know, know your audience and put it in the right context. Do you really want to do this last story here? Uh, that is, that is up to you. We could save it for another <laughs> show if you like. Uh, let's just get it out there because it's, it's in entrepreneur.com and it's a real news story. Three lessons about setting your price learned from a Vegas sex worker. And this was, you know, obviously this caught my eye, uh, but it's some really simple concepts and it's, it's somebody that wrote for entrepreneur.com. So it is, a, it is a story that's out there and he was traveling to Vegas and he had some time to kill and he kind of shared a, a, a walk with this, with this prostitute and he's a business guy and he's a business writer so he picked her brain and really the three things the three quick things that came out of it uh, and, it, and it's a fun story to read so if you want to go to entrepreneur.com uh, but the the one and the, i think the most important is know your value how many people undervalue their service their product because they don't they haven't looked at the market they haven't they haven't really examined their experience really understand their clients how much know, you know what the competition charges but you know as some lady of the night or, or guy, if you know what your competition is, you know who's there, then then you can you can know your value that much more. Segment your market. This is something that you know understand where where you're heading and who who your target is. So and if they have particular needs or niche, then go find that. And I'm not going to get into the, the niches or, or fetishes. And then a product portfolio. That was the last thing. Have, have, you know, it's never just one thing that people may want. There could be lots of things. Package them, separate them, separate them, uh, do what add-ons, you want. Add-ons, gotta have add-ons. Add-ons, add-ons, uh, add-ons will leave the toys out of it. <laughs> All right. We got through that one. Thanks, Josh. Uh, coming up next, we're gonna get to the car business. Uh, we'll be speaking with Gad Biton of Holland Automotive Group and uh, on their cars, on their luxury cars and other commercial ventures. So that'll be interesting. Uh, coming up next. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to today's Entrepreneur, presented by FL Montreal, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL's Josh Miller with you. And this evening, we welcome to the program Gad Biton of Holland Group. Mr. Biton, welcome to CJD. Thank you. Nice to be here. And uh, and the first the first question that we asked, just so the listener understands, although Holland uh, is pretty well known in Montreal area, is what is the Holland Group? What does the Holland Group do? Holland Group started off as a um, auto leasing company. Has now uh, branched out over the years into uh, real estate company, private equity business, and several other investments. It's not just a car company. Um, but it, is it mostly known for the automotive side of it? I guess that's where it kind of started. Absolutely. Now, when did you get into uh, Holland? Did you start Holland? You bought into Holland. 
I purchased Holland in 1995. How was that experience getting in? Very interesting. It was, uh, it was a very difficult process. Going into business is not the easiest, uh, the easiest uh, feat, uh, but uh, very, very, uh, very interesting process. Very uh, invigorating. Very enlightening. It was great. From from that, did you did you? I don't know if it was the first business you ever bought, but from that, were there were there kind of lessons or experiences that you went through that you took into some of your other ventures? Absolutely. To go into any business, you need a strong financial partner. You can't you can't go into business and you know. Not that I want to advertise for our financial partners, but I, I have to tell you. <laughs> That's okay. You, uh, if they were good. They, they were all good, actually. The Bank of Montreal, uh, you know, was, was our financial partner and helped us enter into the, uh, into the space. The biggest challenge any, any entrepreneur has is, you know, how do I go into business and, you know, where do I get the money? They come up with the idea, they come up with the concept, and then they need the money. So they go to, you know, private equity, private investors, and, um, uh, we we were, you know, very scared as young entrepreneurs, and the Bank of Montreal was uh, was just unbelievable to this day. Could you explain how your how the car business works a little exactly? Because typically we'll see dealerships that are you know franchises or or uh, Jeep, Chrysler, whatever. You sell everything. Tell us uh, uh, how that works. Auto leasing is not a dealership. It's a, it's an auto finance company. It's a car bank essentially. We can provide leasing for pre-owned vehicles, new vehicles, any type of any type of rolling stock. The beauty of our business is that you know, as I told you before, when the new car business is strong, we're leasing new cars. When the used car business is strong, we're leasing pre-owned cars. We have everything at our fingertips, so it's um, it's a fantastic position to be in because you're really recession-proof, right? When 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 business is strong. On the new side, you're leasing new, and businesses weak. On the new side, you're leasing used, and there's so much demand out there. The uh, auto finance business, since the beginning of time, is an unbelievable, unbelievable business. So th- that segment in itself, uh, it's like having a hundred dealerships under one roof. Now you you have you you know of your brands that you that you handle, there are the regular ones, there are the Toyotas of the world, but there's also the luxury brands. Uh, the Rolls Royces, the Karma that used to be Fisker. Uh, how did you, was, was that there when you first bought Holland or did you bring it in later on? And maybe you can describe one of those experiences. One of the interesting, being an auto finance company is great. You get to a certain point when you grow, you you know, where do you go from there? And I, I felt that having a leasing company without having a service department or a dealership made you sort of a, uh, it, it didn't give Half you a, pregnant? yes it, well it's a, it's a good point i mean you were either in the business or out but it it it's still people sort of perceived you and said they always used to say to us you know why should i lease from you when i can get it from the dealer for less mm-hmm. you know what's the point and your, what's your answer my answer is first of all service have you ever gone into a dealership i'm not saying mine mine are good <laughs> now today they are but going into a dealership to this day is a very difficult. It's a very. It, it's not the most from a pleasant, consumer standpoint. Not a it, 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 not a pleasant experience. Uh, it's granted maybe a bit more pleasant today because the manufacturers have gotten tougher on the dealers. But if you go across Canada and the U.S., take a survey, the most successful dealers offer the best service and best after service. Our leasing company was fantastic. Our turnaround time was quick. Um, we didn't want to focus on 
volume dealerships, we decided to to focus on ultra luxury. That was the space that we enjoyed because you could your returns were much greater with less people. And um, so, how did you like an, a, a brand like Rolls Royce? How did you get into that? Was that approaching them directly? We did. We got to be a story them, behind yeah, there somewhere. Yeah. Actually, when when Holland, we bought our first building, which was the former former uh, Porsche Audi building on DeCarry Boulevard. Our business had grown to a certain point. We said, what are we going to do with this showroom? Because an auto leasing company really doesn't need a showroom. They're, they're a car bank. And um, I was reading a publication, Automotive News, which is the foremost publication in the car business. And I, I see this this ad for Rolls-Royce. I, I, not an ad, but I see a, a showroom with Rolls-Royces in it. And they were just announcing that BMW Group had purchased Rolls-Royce in 2004 and that the requirement for being a Rolls-Royce dealer was a two-car showroom. I said, here I am sitting on DeCarry Boulevard. There's 300,000 cars a day driving by here. I'm going to call them. I've got a 10-car showroom, and I'm really not using the real estate. So that was the beginning. I wrote them a letter. Just a simple letter. You didn't have to sell yourself more than that. Oh, yes. To get the franchise took me uh, almost seven years. It was a lot of work. Um, but, yeah, the manufacturers have very stringent requirements on who will represent them. It's not only having the funds. It's, you know, do you have the experience in the industry? Do you have the client base? Are you the right representative for that brand? They're, they're very, very, very uh, stringent rules. Do you have to undergo it? kind of like an, an audit every now and then? Do they come and test their quality control? They're always testing. The manufacturer, uh, first of all, should always test because they're your partner in business and they need to test. If they want to keep their level of service up, they need to test. And I noticed there's also, what about the electric cars? Have you have you gotten big into more of the electric cars? If you ask me about electric cars, it, my, my personal opinion is that we have a long way to go Although Quebec is a tremendous market for electric, people embrace electric in Quebec. It's one of the best cities in North America. Uh, Tesla sells. They're one of their best cities in in North America is Quebec, Montreal. It's unbelievable. Um, I, I I like it. I think there's still a ways to go. I think they're expensive at this time. And I think that, that, you know, there is still a lot of room for fuel. Combustion engine is still the thing. There's noise to it. People like it. Uh, granted, you know, the electric cars have made some headway and they will continue. But uh, I think that they're at least, to get market share, 10 to 15 years out. Today's Entrepreneur on CJD 800. We're chatting with Gad Bitton of Holland Group. We'll talk more about the car business, about his real estate arm and customer service and more coming up. Uh, plus, Nick Morata's tax partner at FL uh, lets us uh, in on uh, some tax rules to consider if you have a group of companies. So that is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you. And we're joined by Gad Bitton of Holland Group, uh, car dealerships, now real estate and more. And uh, Gad, we were talking uh, earlier about, uh, you know, how the how your business is a little different from most car dealerships. You know, you, you're not walking into 
uh, a dealership that's just Chrysler or just Jeep. Um, how do how do the customers differ uh, on your side of the business when you have such a large selection? And do you ever get a customer that that just doesn't know what they want? And how do you how do you deal with those customers? Well, firstly, the the front part of our building is is Rolls Royce, and the side is Karma. But on the on the leasing side, leasing portion. I think the salespeople are there to cater to whatever needs the customer wants. So we we do have an array of and and we're in every segment. So if they come in, they want a Jeep, they want a four door sedan, they they want an ultra luxury car. We've got it. So I, I think our staff is equipped to deal with any of the requests that that anybody would want regarding all the brands. Now you're talking about people. Naturally, when you're growing this business, it takes a good team around you. Uh, approximately how many people? Uh, are you there, give or take? Between the yeah, but, but between the the dealerships, the mm-hmm. the dealership in Montreal, uh, the Rolls Royce store, the Karma store, the auto finance company in that building is close to a hundred people. So how do you how did you find your people? Like and and what does what does Gadbiton look for when he's hiring a key person? Every entrepreneur that's listening to this show, finding people is the key. You can't – human resource is the key to any business. It's very hard to find people that are motivated, people that want to work. I think that uh, what we look for is uh, somebody that has the sheer determination to succeed and uh, there are no options. You know, they, they, they want to succeed. So we've, we've surrounded ourselves by highly motivated people. And it's taken a very long time. And and that room for opportunity and growth. You, have you seen people that have kind of grown up through, I guess, increased or improved or grown up through the ranks? In our company, in particular, in upper management, we have no turnover. So most of the people that have been with us have been with us for 25, 28 years. And uh, they're still very productive. They're great. They They love the business. What we see today, which is disappointing in the youth, is that we see that a lot of people are not as motivated, and it's concerning. It's very, very concerning. So, um, uh, and and it's a growing problem. Uh, you know, I I have my own views on that, but I uh, we're in the iPhone generation, right? Everybody thinks the the iPhone can do it. Well, you know, I have news for all of you entrepreneurs or budding entrepreneurs: the iPhone is not going to do it. You know, you've got to do it. And uh, we look for people that are determined that want to succeed. And our our organization, whether it's hotels, real estate, auto dealerships, there's tremendous room for uh, growth. So you have built a certain culture in the Holland Group, something that that you're able to maintain as you grow with the number of employees. Absolutely, the 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 general culture in our. In, in our company and in any of our divisions, is that if you are not ready to be productive and work, um, you're not going to make it. It's as simple as that. They're very well treated. The environment is beautiful. It's it's a fantastic place to work in any one of our companies. But they need to they need to work. So let's switch gears a bit and kind of go to marketing. And you know, again, you're. The Holland Group is is well known, but you've been in this business for many years. So marketing that you did kind of towards the beginning versus now, is that very different? Or for you, it's the same? It's not the same. I mean, I, I was one of the last guys to get onto the internet with our cars because we, you know, because we were so active and so proactive, we were always on the phone. We, we, we worked our customers. We stayed in touch with our customers. We never felt the effect of the digital age. 
Everybody would say to me, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going digital, my website, my website. Finally, I accepted. But I, as I was telling you before, Josh, uh, it's, it's the old-fashioned way continues to work. Picking up the phone and calling a customer will give you a lot, a lot of return. People just don't want to pick up the phone today. Uh, it's uh, yeah, you definitely. This depends on the person, depends on the generation, but certainly less face to face. But when you're selling luxury cars and people are not going to drop a chunk of money just because they found something on a phone, they're going to want the service. They're going to want to talk to about to somebody. Absolutely. Even the people that buy from us on the internet, they buy from us throughout North America. When they're buying a Rolls Royce, they call, and if it's a pre-owned car, they still want to see it. We have people that fly in from the U.S. to buy pre-owned exotic cars, and they check them, they get under them, they like it. It's part of the process. Do you see that enthusiasm in the younger generation as well with with all segments? Because speaking personally, you know, like I'm a car guy. I love cars. I've always had one. But especially with traffic lately in Montreal, I find myself being totally okay sharing a vehicle with my girlfriend and, and not wanting a car on my own. Do you see that transition happening with Uber and all that? I think that Uber is a great idea. I think that it will be fantastic, like the iPhone. I think it's great. But, you know, when it's minus 30 degrees outside and you're calling an Uber and you can't find him and you can't see him and you don't know where he's going, it you know, people still want to have a car. I think that car sharing, uh, and, and again, I'm not knocking Uber at all. I think that there is, you know, Uber is, is, is a fantastic idea. It's great. It will continue to grow. Uh, do I think it's going to eliminate people from owning cars? Absolutely not. People love cars. They want to drive. It's freedom. It's freedom. Mm -hmm. So sharing a car with your girlfriend is, is fantastic. Uh, car sharing companies, you know, are, are flourishing. It's, it's a great thing. But it is, look, if you, it's also a matter of affordability. People have a budget. If you're on a budget, then you do without. But if you spoke to a thousand people, if you had the money, would you buy a car? They'd say yes right away. They want to be free. Some part of people's marketing activities and efforts include community give back what does that mean to you everything if you want to succeed in life give back to your community whichever it is you need to be charitable and you need to give back it is it is a it's on the top of my list key to success that's uh, that's that's pretty succinct and, and pretty 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 powerful uh, just before we kind of finish up this segment there is you, you did grow into the real estate business. How did that evolve? Like where, where was that that first building and and is that something that excited you? You felt that you, you you didn't have enough time in your day, you went through another hobby. Like how did you get into the real estate after dealing with cars or in addition to? We got into real estate because the landlord that uh, that uh, leased us the premises for home and leasing charged us a little bit too much on the electrical bill. We kept complaining. And then when we finally got around to checking it, we found out he charged us a lot more than he should have. So I went looking for a property. And it's it's a long story. And on the air with the time limit, I can't give you the whole story. But it's a, it's a great story. Finally, we ended up buying our first building on Decarry, 8525, where our head office is. And... Uh, it was as a result of the electrical bill, but uh, you know, great feeling to own it. Great feeling to be in that business. Real estate's fantastic. And... Do you get? Uh, are you are you reward like I mean, the, the car business certainly rewards you. I'm sure you have a passion for it. Does the real estate business give you that as much energy as the car side of the business? Real estate, uh, some will say, is a false sense of security. It's a very long term play. 
You can't make money in real estate day one. It is a very long-term play. You need an operating business to support the real estate business. If you don't have one, good luck. Or a financial uh, partner. Or a financial, a, a, with deep pockets. With deep pockets. Well, last question, uh, as a marketer, I'm curious about this. You guys still do billboards. Do they, do they work? They do. They do. It's more for brand recognition, but they do work. Yeah, I think I think visibility and brand awareness, uh, certainly in your game, because you want people, it's still all about face-to-face in certain aspects. That will never go away. Gad Beton of Holland Group will have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a few minutes. And coming up next, uh, we'll check in with our tax partner at FL, Nick Moretis, on uh, some challenges when you have a group of companies. So that information is on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people. Today's entrepreneur on CJ 800 with Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller. This evening in studio with us is Gad Beton of Holland Group. We'll have his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way. Uh, but first, we welcome back Dick Moretis, tax partner at FL, uh, to talk about uh, well, what happens when you have a group of companies and how that can pose some challenges. Welcome back, Nick. Hi there. And so, Josh, in this case, we have uh, an automotive business that branched out into real estate uh, and perhaps more. Um, unrelated, does it, does it matter if, if it's related or not? Well, well, that's just it. There's, there's a, a number of things that, that we need to take into consideration. We always talk about individual businesses when we're on the program with entrepreneurs, but the reality is sometimes you kind of build up a group of companies, a group of services, a group of different businesses, and there are implications certainly from, uh, at the very least, uh, a tax aspect, aspect uh, notwithstanding the human resource aspect and all that other stuff. But Nick's in the room, so we're going to focus on tax and he's anxiously awaiting. He's ready to to belt out his words of so, wisdom. So, Nick, Nick, what do you think of when you when you have these group of companies? Okay, so entrepreneurs have to understand that there are certain tax breaks in our system for Canadian-controlled small businesses. Um, but if there's several businesses and several companies around and they're controlled by more or less a, a related group, uh, the government turns around, takes all these companies, puts them up together and say, you're really one pot. So these tax benefits that we're going to give you uh, is going to be shared by this group of companies. And this catches people off guard. Um, a simple example would be uh, if I own a company and my sp- spouse has a business and she owns her company, that's two different businesses. But if what if I own a bit of her company and she owned a bit of mine? All of a sudden, we're viewed as one for purposes of these tax credits. Now, some of the traps that we get into and, and we, we fall into these is when we have family trusts involved. So in the family trust, you have uh, mom, dad, and, and junior and, and princess as, as shareholders. Well, if, if junior and princess opens up their own businesses as they get older, well, that family trust will, will make their companies and my company and mom's company I'll be one. Even if it's a discretionary trust? Especially if it's a discretionary trust because there's certain rules that say basically you're, you're, you're considered to be one. Uh, other, other traps. I have a business. Uh, my, my, my sister has a business and we happen to be shareholders of my dad's uh, holding company. Well, our two businesses, even though we have nothing to do with each other, we can be miles apart in different provinces, but because we own shares of dad's company and if there's certain minimum requirements, our two businesses are now associated for purposes of taxation. We have to share it. What if the businesses are in different countries? No. It's Canadian-controlled private corporations. So it would have to be Canadian. And what if they're completely different sectors? What if they're not related at all? I could be a depreneur and she can be making high-end jewelry. 
Okay. If so, but if they look, they look for a family connection. The other from one, a, where we, from a payroll standpoint, there's a health services. Uh, I'm, I'm getting there. So yeah, but, uh, okay. to steal your yeah. getting cut off. <laughs> the the other one where we get cut off is sometimes where um, there's one dominant uh, family member who's running the businesses and running everybody's and telling them what to do. Uh, signs checks everywhere. Is a director everywhere, and we call that effective control or de facto control. And then you're caught. Now, why is this important? Well, first of all, um, there's something called the small business deduction. Uh, for Canadian control private businesses, you're, you're on the first half a million dollars of profits, you're, you're saving 11.6%. So figure it this way. For every $100,000 of profits, you are not paying $11,600 of taxes up until half a million. Assuming your assets that's are right. That, now that's per business or per an associated group. So in the in the situation where I'm I'm in Quebec with my business and say my sister's in BC with her business, but because we're associated because of dad, well she and I have to call each other up and say, well we're sharing that half a million dollars. Uh, where else can they come in? If we're doing research and development, there's more enhancements for small businesses. Again, if I'm associated, I got to share these enhancements with the other corporations. And where can it hurt? Well, um, uh, the health services fund here in Quebec, where you're paying a certain um, uh, premium on uh, uh, salaries and, and payroll to your to based upon how much you're paying, you're paying a certain percentage. Well, if it was just my business, I'm, I have a payroll, say of a million, I pay so much. But what if my business and somebody else, my relative's business here in Quebec, we both have payroll? Well, we have to add up our payrolls together to determine what our percentages are. Um, there's, and, and it goes on. There's a lot of restrictions once you get into this associated rule as to getting these benefits. Now, this segs into something else that what the liberals came up with about, uh, which is starting this year for taxation years beginning 2018, is the grind down of the small business deduction for those who have associated companies that are earning passive investment income, like interest, dividends, capital gains, rents. All of a sudden, if you if you're making if this associated business, so it could be dad's, but remember I'm a shareholder of dad, and 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 I have my own business. Boom, I'm associated to dad's company. So dad may have a portfolio that's been accumulated from whatever he is he did years ago, and I'm starting my own little business here. Well, because he's making a lot of investment income in his holding company. I get to, I lose my small business deduction. So I don't save that $11,600 for every tranche of 100000 So now this requires a look back to say, okay, is there something that we can do to either disassociate or am I forever going to be paying more tax? Maybe I should be happy about it. I don't know. What 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 determines or what defines relatives? Is it brother, sister? Is it it's it's is a it blood, blood or marriage. And uh, that's what we look for. And there's certain minimum requirements between how many shares do I have to have a dad's company or my sibling into mine uh, that we have to respect and do. And that's why when you're into this associated rule, it's very difficult to get out. There's a lot of deeming rules that says, well, if you have so many shares, you're automatically deemed to be. And there's certain control elements that you have to respect. So it's not that easy as it used to be 20, 30 years ago to try to finagle your way around. It's getting tougher. But now, but now what's happening with 2019, however, is if you do have a situation where you have siblings and, and or parents with their own businesses, with their own companies that they worked on, uh, on their own, now you're seeing an impact because of this re uh, loss of the small business deduction because of somebody else's investment company. Bienvenue au Québec. That's right. Well, it's Bienvenue au Canada, actually. <laughs> Canada, that's true. Uh, Nick, thanks very much. That You're is welcome. a mouthful. It is a, a lot to take in, but always appreciated. Thanks very much.
Uh, Gad, I'm sure you don't deal with any of that stuff. Uh, you know, it's all about having a successful business. You know, taxes, well, they, they come. Uh, so thanks again very much, Nick. And as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do each week, we'll turn to our guest, Gad Biton of the Holland Group, and ask you, Gad, what would be your piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Never, ever, ever give up. There is no such thing as no. Pretty succinct. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> never, never, never give up. And, and for me, Dan, my, uh, you know, there's, there's a few takeaways and there's so much more to the story that we can't get to, uh, for the Holland group, but you know, he, he didn't, didn't sit still either. It was really, you know, making sure you're out there, uh, making sure there's growth. Uh, don't, he certainly didn't get bored. There's no question about that, but don't sit still. And I think that's, that's another great takeaway. Gad Biton of Holland group. Thanks so much for joining us this evening. Pleasure. Nick Moretis, we'll catch you back soon here on Today's Entrepreneur. Next week, uh, Josh, a printing business uh, that's based downtown. Rubik's. No, Rubik's Rubik's Marketing. Oh, Marketing. Well, Yeah, Rubik's Marketing. Is it different Rubik's? It's a different Rubik's. Rubik's Marketing. All right. Rubik's Marketing. All right. No, branding. Branding. And in two weeks. Our uh, last show of the season. Our last show of the season on location at the Ritz with Andy Nillman. Two Mondays from now. Stay tuned.